house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Why run away? This. It's from my dad. It's where I found the bookmark. Why did my father have this book? Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows exactly what we'd say if we ever came face to face with Margaret fucking Thatcher. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my space oddity, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Commencing countdown engines on. We, we are here to talk about Todd Haynes today. We are here to talk about Todd Haynes, somebody who is no stranger to throwing a little Bowie into his uh, movies, either uh, spiritually or uh, literally. So, this is kind of the Todd Haynes soup movie because it feels like it has pieces and elements of every single one of his movies, even down to his shorts like i think yeah. the like diorama stuff with the little dolls feels vaguely you know uh-huh. Karen carpenter story uh-huh. which is funny because uh it's probably his least authorial movie in terms of like this is the movie that seems like it most belongs to the writer because it is uh, based on Brian Selznick's novel mm-hmm. and also adapted for the screen by Brian Selznick. And I can't off the top of my head think of which other Todd, obviously Carol, um, but even like Carol is very, very not anonymous, though. I oh, not a non. I no, I wouldn't say anonymous, but I would say like if I were to put the balance of Wonderstruck to writer or director, it's the most that a Haynes movie moves maybe a little bit to a little bit on the other side of that needle where even Carol, which is, you know, obviously the Patricia Highsmith source material Mm -hmm. still feels like very, very much a Todd Haynes movie and Mm -hmm. a Todd Haynes sort of conception. Whereas there's also Mildred Pierce too. Mildred Pierce is another good, good example. Um, but I think with something like Wonderstruck, and maybe part of it is that I think it's his least, one of his least successful movies, if not his least successful movie, which is not to say that I don't like it, but there is, we'll, we'll def, we'll get into my sort of, uh, uh, jumble of thoughts on Wonderstruck, but I do feel like it's, it's an interesting marriage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a sometimes, um, uh, wrangling kind of a marriage of Haynes and Selznick. 
I mean, I think one of the interesting things about it seems stupid to call it like late Haynes, but where we right. are now, right? With his his most recent filmographies are not movies that uh, necessary. Even if you know Wonderstruck was something that maybe that he pursued, but because it has mm-hmm. this giant beast of a young adult novel source material. Which which was very heavy on illustrations too, which is the other thing. Like it's it's Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so there was certainly at least a lot of you know visual stuff already present in the project when he took it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, continue your thought. Well, but um, the his recent filmography, including which we'll talk, you know, around somewhat uh, in December, which. we are recording this before the can like uh, moments ceremony. before the cans award ceremony kind of like as soon as we're done recording they'll probably start the the ceremony listen the rumors that are happening around a while talk to me is, about rumors you're so much better plugged in than i am on this kind of stuff i just follow a range of people the uh, the word going Drag. on around now is that this movie is not getting any prizes, even though it was one of the best received movies at the festival. It was. Yeah. There's always some movie that is like kind of universally well received that just doesn't land with the jury. And I'd kind of had a hunch after, you know, reading the responses to the movie, which were all very positive, but that it wouldn't show up with the jury. So we'll see what happens because, like, it's supposed to be somewhat of a comedy or like a satire. I heard the words camp a lot, which always makes me nervous in terms of, like, oh, like, A, the discourse around what is camp is one of my least favorite discourses because it's a bunch of brain dead gay guys trying to sound smart. Uh, but well, it, did you see the quote that uh, Haynes already came out with? I think it was Kyle Buchanan that asked him the question about everybody's calling this movie camp. What do you have to say about that? He's like, yeah, that's not a word we ever used on good. set. And I feel like that's a word that's like, I forget his exact wording, but good. he basically called camp a bucket term to good. mean a lot of different things. Good. And he kind of dismissed it. Yeah. Um, God, no res- no disrespect to Susan Sontag, but like... Uh, uh, <laughs> Get that get that term away from Todd my movies Haynes, right Todd Haynes' Susan Sontag movie. Um, 100% would watch. And thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Todd, I will accept my check in the mail. Uh, you can also Venmo me. Yeah. Um, so it, I'll loop back to the can stuff. Yes. But to complete no, I, the thought I think This is why we're talking about is, this movie right now is because we wanted to time it to this uh, May-December buzz that, that Haynes would be having at Cannes. Portman brought that movie to Todd Haynes, mm. much like, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Mark Ruffalo brought Dark Waters to Todd Haynes as well. Sure. And, you know, I mean, this is a, a source material. It just feels like, you know, even something like Wonderstruck and, uh, I mean, I would argue Dark Waters, um, they have the level of Todd Haynes bespokeness and uh, attention to genre in that he's always commenting on the genre while also giving an earnest Uh uh, example of whatever that genre is. Dark Waters is, you know, the legal uh, humanitarian thriller. Right. Uh, You know, Todd Brockovich is the, you know, movie of the week illness uh, movie. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which makes Harold, me all the Harold's. more excited to be like, is May December like Todd's version of like the Amy Fisher trio of movies we got in like the it's the nineties? It sounds like it's his version of a soap opera. Oh, like I a true love it. Obviously. Like soap opera type of thing. Which sure. is why I'm like, you know what? You know what I need in this world, truly? I'll just say this on mic. I don't even care. I need Joe Reed to interview Julianne Moore specifically about her experience well, working on soaps. You know what is <laughs> I would, obviously. As the world turns is one of the few soaps that I never actually watched. Even when I was at uh was at soap. You can't Net. confess this on mic. I am getting you this No. Job. Well, I am a good I am a good journalist. I I would I would definitely there are ways to talk about the soap opera right. genre without having watched it. No, uh Guiding Light and As the World Turns were the two soaps that by the time they were canceled, I never I was never a CBS soaps person, but he, but by working at Soapnet, I managed to like um sort of wander my way into The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful a little bit. Um, but I was at first an NBC soaps person through my grandmother. That was Days of Our Lives in Another World. And then through my other grandparents got into the ABC soaps, um, which were General Hospital, One Life to Live, All My Children. Um, and then that was all like in my youth. And then I got the job at SoapNet and I sort of, you know, was keeping tabs on all the different ones, which is all to say that if Todd Haynes ends up doing a soap opera, uh, pastiche is the wrong word for what Haynes does, but a, a soap opera inspired, uh, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> I'd be excited. Yeah. Anyway, it just went over very, very well at Cannes. Yeah. I was worried in advance. It was scheduled to start at like 11 o'clock at night after the Scorsese movie. And I was uh-huh. like, oh shit, are they buried? That day, movie? though, the day that the Killers of the Flower Moon reviews started to trickle out, followed by the May December reviews, I was just oh, through the roof, over the moon, <laughs> excited about both of these movies getting such not only good reviews, but like reviews that made me think. I was going to really love him. And then on top of that, the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer comes out, which is, I am, I love Martin Scorsese. I, I am not always like an automatic easy lay for Scorsese. And there are certain You're movies, annoyed by Scorsese fans. You can say it. I often am. Yes. But I don't always let that, I try not to let that get in the way. And I do feel like I do have a sense of like certain ones I like better than others. Um, and I also feel like, even the ones that I like, the trailers, you know, sometimes they're just sort of like, you know, trailers. This trailer fucking knocked my socks off. It looks so mm-hmm. fucking good. And I am beside myself with excitement waiting for Killers of the Flower Moon. So Lily Gladstone. I know, girl. Go. Like, Let's go. I'm so ready. I'm so excited. I am um, excited for everything about Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm glad that you are here to uh, be primarily excited for Lily Gladstone. Wouldn't it be wild if uh, you were super excited for a Scorsese movie and I was like, mm, yeah, the full reversal. Wouldn't shock um, me. Uh, sometimes we sometimes our sine and cosine curves sort of uh, operate on that level. Yes. May, December. Picked up by Netflix, coming out at the end of the year. I have concerns. About the Netflix of it all. 
about the Netflix of it all. Here's what I will but say to try and allay you your know, concerns. It's good that you know everybody is going to be able to have a you know access to a Todd Haynes movie at home. Carol apparently has done very very well when it's been on Netflix. Doesn't surprise so. me. So here's the thing about Netflix that I will probably try and allay your concerns a little bit. Yes, they are the streamer that is most actively hostile to giving their films a proper theatrical run, whereas like Apple seems to be content to actually let their movies play in theaters for a little bit. They're big ones, at least. Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, for example. Um, uh, But for as much as movies get buried on Netflix, they always have a handful of awards contenders that don't. And this will surely be among that handful, right? They're, you know, your marriage stories, your Irishmans, your Romas, your uh, Manx, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. I don't feel like May-December is just going to disappear into the chasm. I think it's going to be one of their big, along with, you know, Maestro, and whatever else they have. I think it's going to be in their portfolio of big award season movies to push. I have some skepticism there. And like, you know, Todd Haynes movies, as we're about to discuss, are very delicate they things. Are. They need very confident yes. uh, hands guiding them to the public. I'm uh, Yes, I don't. And, you know, it's it's been a while since uh, one has been handled well. I mean, you would probably argue... God, what even was, I mean, maybe I'm Not There was better handled than even Carol was. Um, I think, I, I'm i of two minds on Carol. Because, yes, Carol did get the picture and director snub. It did get six Academy Award nominations. You know right. what I mean? Like, this was not a movie, like, and it was a thing. It was a presence in that year's award season. So Carol, for as much as we wanted more for it, I think Carol was handled well. I think Carol was um, was presented as a major film accomplishment of that year, and I think it was seen as such. Whether it you know came up short among Oscar voters, and probably just short, probably just on the outskirts of those two top categories. Um, but I agree with you that there is a challenge to Todd Haynes movies in terms of And like I'm not even just talking about awards because at this point like you know Todd Haynes has his you know status of the type of filmmaker he is and he has several films that are like imprinted on film culture. I still want to see him on a stage with a trophy. He deserves it. True. He deserves it. But I also don't I don't want his movies to just float into the ether. And we're about to talk about one that floated into the ether, though got a cooler reception than this movie did. This is also a Cannes premiere movie. But you look at what studio was Dark Waters? Focus. So Focus is a studio that does do well by indie movies, and that's still a movie that flo- that like got disappeared. So like it's not but always a guarantee. That- We'll talk about that movie eventually, but that I think that's a very, very specific case. That's a movie that was ushered into being by Ruffalo and sure. But I'm just saying that, like, to... it, it's it's. I think just based on the studio of it isn't necessarily the be all and end all. This is fair. This is fair. Not to be a Netflix simp, like, I I truly am not, but, like, you know what I mean? I try and be as even-handed as I can be um, about this kind of stuff. Um, 
I love Todd Haynes. I've said before. Here's the other thing about May December before we get off the topic of May December. Not only am I excited for that, but the fact that the reviews coming out specifically put Natalie Portman at the top of that, like, Mm -hmm. have me very excited because, like, it is no surprise to me that Julianne Moore will be would be wonderful in a Todd Haynes movie. We've seen it before. It's her fifth co- uh, collaboration with Haynes after Safe, Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, and Wonderstruck, which we'll be talking about soon, as soon as I let us stop talking about mid-December. Um, <laughs> but the marriage of Natalie Portman and Todd Haynes was very intriguing to me, and the fact uh-huh. that... She's getting the like top of the line best reviews for that movie. Have me very excited. We know she can do highly stylized. Uh, Jackie uh, sort of uh, proved that to all of us. If not, love like- to hear that she's doing another voice. And also, Julianne <laughs> is doing a voice because Julianne loves doing a voice when she's with Todd. I just watched Safe last night uh-huh. and I was like, hmm. There's something about this poor this performance, I believe I text you this, that yeah. I would call Portman-esque. <laughs> that is like she's doing a voice and I I mean, like, I don't want to reduce that safe performance. We'll talk a little bit about safe, I'm sure. Safe, a performance um, that I'm shocked did not show up on your uh hundred years a hundred snubs, by the way. It was it was very close. Yeah. It was very, very close. Yeah. I I didn't have Julianne anywhere. I know. It is I was a gonna it's put a shocker for that. I know. Um, I'm going to be doing postmortem on 100 Years 100 Snubs for a while. I'm going to be doing a lot of like, <laughs> it's fascinating that we didn't co- come up with such and such. Like, it's. I do have an idea for next May that I want to talk to you about. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. All right. Because um, one and, of the things and, about 100 Years 100 Snubs was that people don't know. That is a thing that I pitched to you in like June of last year, where I was like, let's yeah, keep an yeah, eye yeah, on yeah. this. Let's let's keep this in our thoughts and try and see how we can develop this idea. So like that was an idea that was like a year in the making. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 Anyway, right. continue. Um Yeah, I think that uh, yeah, I am excited for the Portman performance. It is absolutely unshocking that Natalie Portman gives any performance in a Todd Haynes movie and uh, straight male critics are calling the movie camp. Um, <laughs> Your war on straight male critics is also my favorite ongoing. Listen, subject. we're talking about Todd Haynes. Yes, I will talk about my war on straight male critics. Um, I forget who it was, but I was reading a review for May December, and one of them used the word chili, and I was like, "Okay, this is this is aesthetically personally triggering to me." Fighting I'm words. done reading your review, sir. Fighting um, words. The Carol, yeah. the Carol scars are still fresh <laughs> in terms of chili. Yes, the Wonderstruck scars are still fresh. I feel like Dark Waters. I don't. I want to try to avoid. Talking about that movie. Listen, as much waters, as I can, waters are chilly. We'll have an episode for that, especially actually. waters in northern states in like the winter time. Like those waters get chilly. That's not Todd Haynes' fault. That's 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 weather. Fucking idiot. <laughs> um, I I really love Wonderstruck. I oh, this is fun. This will be a fun conversation. I mean, the man's never made a bad movie. No, he it just needs to be said. He has never made. A bad movie. He hasn't made a movie that isn't mostly successful, like in terms of like what it's doing, what it's attempting to do. And 
I mean, you can't really say that about many people. Certainly not many people who's who've made as many movies and yeah. as wide ranging of movies as yes. he has. Agreed. I think people, while we're largely net positive on this movie, I think people were somewhat unfair to it. I do think that there are some things that snag in the movie. Yeah. I like I think... this movie sounds like less than you do. I wrestle with this movie. I struggle with this movie. I think mm-hmm. and watching it again this time was an exercise in me sort of being like what what is about it? And we'll get to it in a little bit more specifically, especially about the ending on the other side of the plot description. But I think just in general terms, I think something about Wonderstruck is a thing that I love about Haynes, which is his ambition, right? His movies mm-hmm. have big ideas, big concepts in terms of uh, visual language and and the genre he's working in and the style he's working in. Velvet Goldmine is my favorite of the Haynes movies, as I think I mentioned in the in the miniseries. If that's the Haynes I'm most in need of a rewatch for. Uh, that and Mildred Pierce. Um, um, uh, it, it, and, and Velvet Goldmine is a movie with a big visual concept, a big sort of concept in general. It has a really like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, large idea of the kind of movie he wants that to be far from heaven is the same thing. Obviously that's a very determined, uh, language that he's, he's working in, in that movie safe. I would say as well, I'm not there. Certainly like that's a concepty movie in general. Um, mm-hmm. What the thing about Wonderstruck is, it's a concepty movie in that he has, you know, these two different timelines, and one of them is in black and white and is entirely silent, and the other one is set in the 70s and is partially has like long stretches that are totally silent. And it all comes together by the end. But I think the there is something about his ambition for this movie that doesn't quite fully click on the level that like, once I see what he's trying to do, my expectations go up, 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 up because Mm -hmm. I'm like, there is potential in this for me to be really swept away by this whole thing. And I'm ultimately not as much. And again, we'll talk about the ending on the other side of the plot description, but I think just in general, there is, I think the shortfall for this movie hits me a little bit more because my expectations with it being Haynes, with it being, um, I'm usually, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for this kind of like, you know, little kid sleeping in a museum kind of a thing. We'll talk about that trope too, <laughs> but like, um, and I think the, by the end of it, I'm like, well, what, why, why am I not as, you know, swept up in this whole thing as I feel like I could be? So I think part of that is, uh, you know, you're playing the expectations game, which isn't entirely on the fault of the film, but I do think there are certain things that don't quite click as, as, uh, cleanly or as impactfully as they could. And we'll, we'll talk about that in more specifics once we do the plot description. Um, which we should probably just do right now, considering we're well past the 20-minute mark. Um, I will set up 
my timer, but first, I'm not going to forget it this time as I did last time. Um, hold on, let me. Uh, where's my timer? There we go. Stopwatch. Okay. Um, we're talking about Wonderstruck, 2017's Wonderstruck, directed by Todd Haynes, written by Brian Selznick, based on his novel of the same name, starring Oakes Fegley, Julianne Moore, Michelle Williams, Millicent Simmons, and introducing Millicent Simmons. Uh, I love an introducing credit. Uh, Jaden Michael, <laughs> Tom Noonan, Corey Michael Smith, James Urbaniak, Amy Hargraves, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May 18th, 2017. It then played the Fall Festivals at Telluride and New York, and then it opened in limited release on October 20th, 2017. Chris, I have my stopwatch. Are you ready for the 60-second plot description for Wonderstruck? Sure am. And go. All right, so we're following two parallel stories across 50 50 years. Uh, One is set in the late 20s, follows Rose, a young deaf girl who we see her at the cinema falling in love with this movie star, and then she runs off to the city, and she meets up with that movie star. Turns out that it's her mother who has semi-abandoned her. Uh, Meanwhile, in the parallel story, Ben runs off to New York City himself after his mother has died in search of his father, who he has never met. Um, And he... Uh, has had an uh, an accident and he also has had hearing loss at this point and he is trying to get through the city he uh, runs to a museum with this uh, other boy Jamie whose father is some type of curator there they spend some time at the museum meanwhile back in the parallel city we are in the parallel story we see that Rose uh, eventually moves in with her brother and then it turns out that Ben is actual Ben goes to a bookstore where he meets the old Rose who turns out is his grandmother and his father has uh, since passed away but uh, uh, it's a story of reconciliation and parallel lives lived across families. Ten seconds over, very good. We find out at the end of this movie that Julianne Moore as the uh, grown-up Rose recounts seeing young Ben and his mother at uh, her son's memorial service when ben was a very too young to really remember uh at the at the history museum and then all these years later she meets him again in the city so in very in a very real way um ben is back in new york city in this movie <laughs> and i fucking hate you, you. Say, i am sitting here uh, uh, marinating in the final themes of this movie, back. feeling the tears welling up in my eyes, ben, and you, the menace ben of my life, back. take a sledgehammer. He's back. He's back. Yeah. So Ben is back. Uh, back in the city, baby. Yeah, back in the big city. Um, there. So <laughs> there are a couple things. There are a few things. That made me think of different pop culture uh, uh, illusions. One of which was Ben showing up in the city and getting like his wallet snatched as he's like off of the bus. And all it made me think of is that Simpsons episode where Homer remembers going to New York City, and uh, it's this like very like exaggerated '70s thing where he gets like uh, mugged by a, a pimp, and and uh, then <laughs> that's when the chuds came after me. So I thought of that. I also thought of, and I texted you this before we recorded today, um, Rose, young Rose's journey to the city to meet this actress who turns out to be her mother, um, very, very much uh, is to me the glamorous life from, uh, 
uh, a little night music, the, the, the version of the song from the movie that, that Audrey McDonald sings at the Sondheim birthday concert, a video that I watch constantly because it's so fucking Maren Maisie's um losing my mind may she rest the whole thing the whole everybody's performance is great but Audra's in particular um tremendous on that song so that's what that made me think of and then um I also thought of again as I mentioned before this idea of like kids fascinations with museums and especially natural history museums because like uh that's where the dinosaur bones are that's where the you know the woolly mammoths are and the dioramas of like you know the caveman times and whatnot and this like very childlike fantasy of oh everybody's gone they closed the museum now we can like stay here all night which he and his friend um do and i'm like that's a trope that is like that's what's the children's book the mixed up files of uh um oh i wrote it down um the mixed up files of mrs basil e frank weller like have did you ever read that one as a kid i don't think so i never did but it was like super pop but like that's the plot of that movie and like i think that's what's being alluded to in the royal tenenbaums when they talk about they all go because isn't that the one where they're like they flash back to when they were kids and they all camped out richie and margo uh and eli ran away from home and stayed in the museum yes yeah um so I'm like, that seems like, and that's sort of, again, kind of the universe that Haynes is working in, in this, this kind of um, child's fantasy of New York. It's a little New York lonely boy, <laughs> too. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where like Ben is kind of a, is kind of a, would be a great New York lonely boy. And maybe that's what his, you know, if he, uh, you imagine by the end of this movie that like, oh, he'll like go and live with his grandmother and his great uncle and be like raised in the in the bookstore which is a, and which, everything will be fine honestly um, but it, it it has that kind of fairy tale conclusion to it right where it's just like he'll you know these these he's found these not that his relatives back home weren't you know kind his aunt seems to be very you know concerned with him yeah, but he has whatnot. that shitty cousin he, we all have like a reading cousin. outdoor life magazine but the other cousin yeah but the other cousin the girl cousin is nice to him and uh his aunt <laughs> like seems, you smoke yeah like who doesn't he mistakes uh, he mistakes her for his mother who doesn't love Play an by, older uh, girl Blake cousin you mr michelle williams yeah um but anyway there's that sort of that fairy tale aspect of, oh, he's going to like, you know, he's going to live in New York City and he's going to, you know, again, just get to be gay, live upstairs in a bookstore. Because <laughs> Ben is definitely queer coded in this movie, as I think somewhat Jamie is maybe as well, because like they have this whole connection of like, well, I don't really have friends right. who like what I like and uh, I mean, when you see Ben's cousin having uh, like an outdoorsy magazine, it's sure, like, okay, we it's know, at the we, very we least again. Being... We've talked about movies that are you know soft boy coded, and this was <laughs> I don't know why I had this thought recently, but um, talking about Sean Mendes and how we sort of who like constantly is talking about in his like songs or in like the press or whatever, this idea of like different ways to, you know, be a man in this world, like different ways to, I don't know. There's this like defense of the soft boy, essentially through like Sam or Sean Mendes uh, uh music and press and whatever. And 
I, w- I just had this thought of, like, we spend all of this time talking about toxic masculinity, and we hate it, and, like, it's such a scourge, and it's so bad for the world, and then, like, the second somebody is like, yeah, like, I agree with that. I don't think that men should be, like, this toxic. We should find other ways to be, you know, to be men in this world, and we immediately are just like, he's gay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, gay. And... Which, and again, uh, me too. Uh, this missed me. Uh, Sean Mendez. It, it, it's a thing that brings up my twink face blindness, name blindness, sound blind, you know, sure. uh, deafness, I guess. I can't tell any of them apart by their face, their name, the art they produce in the world, their music. It all. You do is, love to shame me suit. for my. Uh, Twink An affinities by suit. telling me that you don't uh, you don't recognize twinks in this world. So, uh, uh, yes, um, couldn't be me. Asshole. Couldn't be me. Um, anyway, Wonderstruck, Wonderstruck, but yeah, soft movie. boy, soft boy cinema. At the very least, soft boy cinema. Boys can talk about their feelings without us necessarily being like, "Welcome to the club, F slur," but. It also, you know, <laughs> I think the that possibilities are there. The seeds of that. In the possibilities movie. are certainly there. Yes. Um, um. Also, brave young girl cinema. Oh yeah, totally. Rose venturing to the city on her own and feeling liberated by the sight of a skyline entirely relatable. Oh, totally. Um, that's the thing. Is that that's that sort of that fantasy of the kid emerging from. She travels from Hoboken, so I guess they both get walk out of Port Authority. That that's the the uh, but this idea of in very different times, these kids sort of like walking out onto Eighth Avenue in the big city, and he gets his wallet snatched, and she runs into a helpful person who points her the way of Broadway, essentially, and uh, <laughs> is like the theater's just down that way, little girl. Um, we don't hear him say that, but that's what I imagine he sounds like. Um, and yes, she goes to the theater, and it is uh, this actress who she's, we think she's just a fan of this actress, but she is her mother, and she's played by Julianne Moore. And that whole section of the movie is in black and white and silent. And so, okay, I want to hear, you You as somebody who loves this movie, um, my struggle with the movie is, A, I think the Rose storyline is done by the middle of the movie, essentially. And I mean, yes, this is part of the problem, because the third act of this movie, you feel, even though Rose is involved, but because it's a different actor playing Rose at a different point of her life, this is one of the things that, like, yes, this is a, a snag for the movie. Um, especially because you're talking about a, a deaf character who's performed by a deaf actor early mm-hmm. in the movie, too. You want her yeah. uh, to be connected to that part of the film as well. The... The resolution, the reconciliation, the emotional impact of the movie comes at a different timeline, you know? So there's... Oh, I mean, I don't think that the movie fully abandons it because the emotional impact is her relationship with her brother and her connection with her brother when she moves in with him. And you do get that nice, long, extended scene where they're, like, fighting with a sleeping bag or something. And it's really lovely. It's her with Corey Michael Smith, um, who's a really interesting Todd Haynes actor. He's going to be in May, December December as as well. Yeah, yes. Uh, He's somebody who I only really know, and I didn't watch Gotham, the tele- the Fox television show about uh, um, 
what's his name from the OC playing uh, uh, Jim Gordon. But I remember yeah. there being talk of, isn't it interesting that the two main villains on Gotham are played by queer performers, that the guy who played Penguin and the guy who played Riddler, Corey Michael Smith played Riddler, uh, were both queer actors. So I, uh, that's basically the the be all and end all of me knowing who Corey Michael Smith you're is. saying the point of Gotham is be gay do crime yes 100% that's what great, that great. show should, should have been called that. yeah um uh be gay do crimes leather daddy as in Batman is the leather daddy because he's in a leather suit I would have liked more of Wonderstruck to have been about that brother-sister relationship I know you you mentioned there is an you know an extended scene but I think if the rose the balance is not if great if the rose If the Rose 1920s story is able to last the length of the film and by the end of the movie, that story and Ben's story sort of braid themselves into, you know, a connection. And then also give us a little bit more because also we get that scene of Julianne Moore and Tom Noonan as the adult Rose and Walter, I believe is his name, um, in the bookstore. And like, that's a really like interesting and kind of lovely dynamic that they have she's living in the city she's lived in the city we imagine ever since she came there as a child she gets we see her sort of like moving through the city so she like she's an independent person but also she depends on her brother for certain things that she you know uh can't necessarily do so they sort of very much the dynamic academic older brother much cooler younger sister she's if are you are you picturing this woman in scarves because you're absolutely correct you know what i mean like yes absolutely 100 um and he just seems like a very kind man queer coded kind is kindness queer coded kind of no i don't think he's queer coded (laughs) oh so he's not queer coded but ben is queer queer coded are you saying gay people are kind what's that's what i'm asking you you. that is you're literally saying that gay people like to want to have friends (laughs) like that's that's not the same thing as being kind oh my god oh my god okay all right okay are you kidding some of me and my gay friends are so mean to each other are you kidding well Um, i could also see tom noonan's character going home i'm mean as hell to you you're super mean right now because you're not understanding what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. I'm giving you shit. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, but what I'm saying yes, is, yes, I, it, the, yeah. there is an issue with you know it, it. It somewhat makes the you know silent film aesthetic of Rose's portion of the story feel more like a curio because there isn't as much. emotional payoff there whereas the emotional payoff which is still Rose's story is in the very very different aesthetic of Ben's story yes Um, but it at the same time though it does feel like when we get when we get the reveal of the story we get the what connects the two of them and why there's so much power to the parallel of their stories it feels like well Rose is basically taking the reins of that and we get as much of what it means emotionally to Ben as what it means for Rose yes for them to connect and I think that's right that whole the the whole reveal of the story while it is somewhat projected and maybe predictable and maybe that's why it's not as powerful to some people I just I find it very moving the 
idea of um, shared pain through generations and finding reconciliation uh, in the future, through future generations and connection between the two. And we can move on. (laughs) Oh, Chris, you're getting emotional. Um, Um, I love that. No, I will. I want to talk about how my my struggles with the ending. First, I do want to say apologies to anybody listening for if you're picking up the lawnmower sound that is probably in the background of mine. I will say now that I'm back uh, uh, living in a more uh, it's not quite as I don't live in the suburbs, but it's like neighborhoody enough that like weekends in the summertime there is just a wall-to-wall soundtrack of lawnmowers like cascading around me at all times so uh, i mean i i should have told you this ahead of recording but that's not a lawnmower i actually sent carter burwell to your house to have a constant underscore for this entire Wonderful. episode thank you um but so okay so the ending of this movie which I am very much of two minds on because intellectually I look at the end of this movie and I feel like, was there no better way to arrive at the emotional climax of this movie than a child reading a series of notes on a notepad? You know what I mean? That like just dramatically that feels underwhelming and, and not what I would expect of Todd Haynes. For as much as the writing is very lovely. Um, it feels very adapted from a book. It does. Um, but the other and, thing and is... And I, I hear you on that. I appreciate because everything else in the movie is so stylized, and even that sequence somewhat is, they're standing literally in the middle of a diorama of New York City. Sure. Um, which is so gorgeous. Um, I appreciate the, the narrative simplicity of it. Um, I get that. The other thing for me, though, is the other side of the coin for me is I end up really loving that scene emotionally, whereas, like, it gets me. And I I love the sort of catharsis of these two characters finally coming together. And so I am very much of two minds. I think intellectually, I feel like this feels like a a deflating way to present this information. But the other part of me is like, but the information, you know what I mean? Like, but it's so, you know, and I, by the end, I'm, I'm really glad that these two characters have found each other. Um, so I struggle with that because by the end of the movie, that's kind of my favorite part of the movie in my heart. You know what I mean? Like that's the part Mm -hmm. of the movie where it finally, the, the expectation, when I talk about the expectations game of this movie, that's the only part of the movie where my expectations are met on an emotional level. And yet right. my expectations on a um, intellectual level are pretty disappointed by that. So that's sort of my my push-pull that I have with Wonderstruck. I, I mean, I understand all of that. I, I'm also of the mind that the weakest portion of this movie is that middle portion where it's basically just like Ben and Jamie spending a lot of time in this museum. And then you also flash back to seeing Rose in the museum. She sees the young girls uh, who are all friends and having a conversation. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we feel that she wants to be able to have that type of connection. And I think those moments um, all have such potential to be really good because I like the concept of it, right? Again, like kids in the museum, like kids sort of reaching out 
and, you know, across their communication divides and this whole kind of thing mm-hmm. to become friends. And by the end, you kind of do need to feel that bond that uh, uh, Ben has with what's Jaden Michael's character's name in this? It's Jamie. Jamie. Because Jamie's the one who, like, comes by the end to, like, you know, he he finds them by the end uh, in the middle of his mm-hmm. blackout. Um, but I agree with you that the movie kind of sags during that portion of the movie. And I wish it wouldn't because conceptually, I really want to be swept up in that story, their story. Yeah, the, the like... Uh story arc it feels like you know you kind of fall off a little bit of a cliff though it's like you're falling off a cliff with todd haynes so it's never less than watchable but yeah like you can see the version of this movie that's maybe 15 minutes shorter that Mm -hmm. you know has a very clear narrative like through line that is much more impactful i want to talk about the kids for a second um oaks fegley is in this movie the year after he's Pete in Pete's Dragon, a movie I think we both really like, David Lowry's Pete's Dragon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he's really good. Have you watched David Lowry's Peter Pan movie yet? I haven't. Have you? I was a little disappointed. I mean, you know, I was disappointed because I like David Lowry and I really like David Lowry's uh, Pete's Dragon movie that I'd hoped that maybe this Disney Plus original would be a good one and it doesn't sound like it is. I have so. seen neither um uh what's his name? Ben Zeitlin's the Peter Pan movie nor David Lowry's Terrible Peter movie. Pan movie. <laughs> but I wonder if maybe I should just like watch them both back to back and just sort of like beca- but if I do, I will never be able to differentiate them in my head in terms of like you know what I mean? Like they will be one little <laughs> I bet mess. you probably could. No, but I, I bet you probably I bet you could. I would end up confusing As them for each other more than I should. Wendy. Yeah. You'll be able to tell them. But at some point, like, isn't a Peter Pan story just a Peter Pan story? But anyway, um, he's in that. And then a couple years after Wonderstruck, he's the young Ansel Elgort in The Goldfinch. And then Pandemic Year, (laughs) he's in the, I believe it was a number one box office movie for, like, several weeks, The War with Grandpa, because it was the pandemic and, like, nothing. Oh, he's in that. He's the right, he's the kid. Right. He's the one who's having a war with Grandpa in that movie. Right. It's the movie that was released that month in the pandemic. Yes. So it spent, like, It was the movie of that month, yes. Yeah. Um, and then... And now, uh, Fableman's Bully. Which, I made it through that entire movie without realizing that that's who that was. And by the end of that movie, I was like, Oaks Hoogly? Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, um, I was, I was so surprised. Um, how do you, how do you like him in Wonderstruck? Because I was reading a lot of the reviews of it. A lot of people, more so than you would think, would be comfortable with being like, I think this kid is a problem. We're kind of like, I didn't really like Oaks Wegley in this movie. <laughs> I think he's fine. I think Millicent Simmons is the more interesting. We'll talk about her in a second, but talk actor. about, talk about. So young like, I, I, I think there is somewhat of an imbalance there. I mean, I, you don't really think of Todd Haynes as someone who's directed children. So like, maybe that's one of the things sure. about this movie that's like, you know, maybe that's just not his, Thing. Also, in Pete's Dragon, he doesn't, like, talk much in that movie, right? Because he's a kid who's, like, raised in the wilderness. 
I forget that part of it. I just remember sobbing in that movie. Sure. I mean, he's a kid who finds <laughs> Much a like I sob in Wonderstruck. Um, I want to see what he has coming up, uh, whether he's uh, in anything major coming up. Because he's got a couple movies in production right now, but nothing that seems too major. Unless uh, you think that him co-starring with David Duchovny is major at this point. Um and his brother is his brother the one from um uh Lyle Al Crocodile. He is the one from Lyle Al's Crocodile. His brother Winslow Fegley uh is the kid from Lyle Al Crocodile, a movie that uh has one good song that they play four times and it's a really good song. <laughs> is what I will say about <laughs> the brothers Lyle Fegley. Crocodile. Yes, the brothers Fegley. That's that should be their uh their upcoming movie. Um I think he has a harder uh a harder road to hoe in this movie in terms of likability. I think he's, you know, um he's the he's I mean she's rebellious too, I guess, but she's rebellious in this such this highly stylized way that mm-hmm. um uh she I mean Millicent Simmons. Um I think Oaks has to be that scene where he gets really mad at Jamie for not telling him right away about the bookstore. You kind of hate Ben in that scene and you you yeah. you need to be able to put yourself in his shoes and all he wants to do is to, you know, find his dad because his mother is dead and now he can't hear and and you know, uh, all of this kind of stuff. Um you do kind of support him though because it's like yeah, you could have just gone to the bookstore and saved us 20 minutes of this movie. But Jamie wanted to have a magical night in the museum. Okay, maybe he is quirky with his new boyfriend. All right. All right. Um, fine. Um but so okay, so Millicent Simmons is sort of the discovery of this movie. Todd Haynes wanted to cast a uh a deaf performer in this role he went on this sort of like nationwide casting uh call for this performer finds millicent simmons she's in this movie i remember in the run-up to this movie sort of like doing that dumb thing where a year ahead of time you're like who are going to be the like the big surprise oscar nominees and i remember being like watch out for this millicent simmons who is you know uh a young deaf Plum performer role in a Todd Haynes motion. Basically, sure. yeah, and, and obviously that didn't work out that way, but it sure worked out for Millicent Simmons who ends up getting I was going to say it kind of did. Cast she in got a franchise a quiet after place. this movie. The thing about and the first a quiet place she's obviously a huge focus because she's um not only uh is she, you know, the deaf uh character in that movie but she emotionally is bearing the brunt of the guilt for her brother getting eaten by the big fast monster thing Mm -hmm. um a quiet place part two which a lot of people didn't really like very much and i did i I thought she and uh who's who's baby boy who we love um um oh teeny tiny um, jupey Noah Jupe. Angel Child, Noah Jupe. Noah Jupe. Yeah. She and Noah Jupe are both so good. So, so good. Yeah, the kids are the best wise. thing about that. Are about both of those. Tremendous. Movies. But especially in the second one, I think they both put in a lot of really, really good work. Two of the best child performances I'd seen in a while were in that movie. Um, I, I, I would say that's one of the good things about the second one is that, you know, they really. Um, it feels like they get the weight of the story. Do I feel like that is what was promised by the end of the first movie? Right. 
No. First movie ends kind of perfectly, and I was mad just in general that we were even getting a second movie because I loved the way the first one ended. Um, but if we were going to have to get a second one, I was at least glad that those two performances got to exist. Right. I thought they were so good. The second is just so frustrating because the end of the movie writes a check that the second one is like, well, we're not going to cash that. Just, who cares? Right. It's not like it can't. It's that it chooses not to. And I, I also felt like the ending of it was just not satisfying. I don't know if I need a whole universe of movies about well, this story. We're like gonna get going one because to... we're gonna get another one, I think, at some point. Yeah. Um we're getting prequels. No, like I, I day one movie. I like, think yes. Oh. I think that to me is all uh irksome, but I will just say I ended up uh really enjoying that movie. Anyway, um she is in an upcoming movie that is in pre production. She's also on Broadway right now. Uh which is a uh ballerina thriller. Which sounds fun oh, yeah. with Lena Headey and uh, Yara Shahidi and Lana Condor. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. So that's neat. Um, yeah. So Millicent Simmons in Wonderstruck. I there's something about that section of the movie. I guess I just want more of it, or I want it to be more of a feel like more of a complete story. I think once we find out that Julianne Moore is her mother. There really isn't much more to the story. They have that argument, and that's kind of it. I, I get what you're saying with like the scene with the brother, but that just feels like epilogue to me by then. Mm-hmm. And and really only there to set up the brother being in the in the later part. Um but like the scene where she's off the bus and sort of like in the streets of New York and and trying to find her way around, she's incredibly um expressive any moment where she's like watching a movie like her face is just very very uh communicative and i think she's really good she also dodges the like bratty child thing in the way that i don't think the movie fully dodges with ben even though it's like I don't know. You can't. It, it, Ben's not doing anything wrong, but it feels he still feels like bratty in a way. Well, I think um, she is sort of inherently more sympathetic. Her father's very domineering. James Urbaniak plays her father, and he's very yeah. domineering. And her mother is, we find out, you know, uh, basically abandoning her. Right, right. So I think there's just more inherent sympathy for her. Whereas, like, um, and I also feel like the more modern you put the context, the more you sort of place the kid as like, you know, yourself or somebody you know. And it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. God, like I was probably a nightmare when I was a bratty kid. You know what I mean? Like you sort of right. there's a little bit of that that uh, reduced sympathy there. The, I can also see how maybe the artifice of, you know, that sequence that section of the movie is in black and white it is kind of haynes's version of reflecting on silent cinema i could see how a lot of the artifice of that would feel somewhat repetitive sure um one of the reviews i I read by the way is oh go ahead finish your thought i was gonna say i do think it's interesting the way that he threads that I haven't really seen threaded in a movie before this idea of as the talkies came out because we see we see Rose in a movie theater watching 
who we eventually learn is her mother in a movie and she's so engaged she's so enraptured with the cinema mm-hmm. and then as she leaves she sees these banners for like all sound stereo blah blah right. blah right. wave of the future right. blah 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 and it's it's not shown in movies in a way that we've seen like you know it's it's almost like an ominous bad thing and you realize that rose is actually about to be shut out by an art form that she was able to appreciate um so you're saying that rose in this movie is team babylon is what you're saying (laughs) i mean i would argue the opposite you know like babylon is like well i mean babylon's about how sound taking the the bad and the good of everything in a way um yeah babylon babylon is all things to all people (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, as much as it's like, look at this awful bacchanal, mm-hmm. it's also saying, uh, isn't it fun to watch Isn't it fun to have a bacchanal? Yeah. Um, um, yes. Also in the black and white section, uh, very briefly, but I wanted to mention is Lauren Ridloff, who is a deaf actress who's on The Walking mm-hmm. Dead. She was in Eternals. Um, she plays uh, Pearl, the maid, uh, in in this mm-hmm. very very briefly in it. But I was like, "Hey, look, it's Lauren Ridloff." Um, I also that re- note though of you know Rose being essentially shut out would have been uh, shut out in a way by this art form. Mm-hmm. It comes very early in that, and we don't. It, it feels like that should be. Uh, more of the thrust of the story because then we get the stuff with the mom and then we don't get the emotional reconciliation of it until her brother after that. I also feel like um, there's a way and like I'm not going to tell Todd Haynes how to make a movie. <laughs> like I'm not that much. Right, right, um, right. But like I do feel like there is maybe a way to have the Julianne Moore is her mother reveal come maybe later and kind of braid that into um, and 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 then have her scene with her brother and she finds that one person in the city who is going to, you know, accommodate her and, you know, be family to her in the city. You could braid that maybe closer in the, in the narrative to Ben and old Rose finding each other. You know what I mean? Like maybe then Mm -hmm. it's, I, I don't, Maybe I maybe that's a little too neat, but as it is, like this movie ends too neatly, I think, with the with the note. So or with the with the um the notepad. So yeah. I don't know. Again, not telling Todd Haynes how to make a movie. I am uh uh not that much of an asshole. But anyway, I did want to mention very quickly about the black and white. I read in one of the reviews of this movie that the particular film stock that he used for that section is so rare by this point that he had to like special request it from Kodak, um, which is, <laughs> that's what you get when you have Amazon money. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's right. So was this an Amazon production from the get then? This was a roadside attractions movie. Well, this is when they were partnering right. with other distribution houses. This is not a, we've talked about it before. But like, was this, this an Amazon movie when it was a can slate? I'm, pr- I mean, I feel pretty sure that it, was but maybe i'm wrong um but yeah i mean i I would maybe assume considering how bespoke this movie feels uh especially with this like specialized film stock Mm -hmm. because you know uh, the other thing about todd haynes is he's had 
struggles, you know, making movies, even though he comes out with a movie every few years, it feels like some of those are made as quickly as possible. Like they've said for May, December, like happened with dark waters. Um, very famously, he had the Peggy Lee biopic with Michelle Williams fall apart. Right, she that was, was in the works. For she a long was outright time. being like, "We can't get money." He struggles to get money. <coughs> Pardon me. Michelle Williams was very upfront saying, "You know, Todd Haynes struggles for funding for his movies." Yeah. Um, to answer my own question, by the way, it does look like Amazon made the deal with Haynes uh, in 2016. So, yeah. uh, so yes. you know. Yeah. Uh, this was, we, we've talked about this a lot, so we don't really need to belabor this point, but this was one of Amazon's movies in 2017, where there, we've talked about it before, they were coming off of the big breakthrough success with Manchester by the Sea. They beat uh, Netflix to the punch of getting major awards with the best actor win for uh casey affleck and then they walk into 2017 with some big projects right they have the new um what you call it they have the new todd haynes movie in wonderstruck they have the new richard linkletter movie in last flag flying they have the new woody allen movie in wonder wheel they have uh brad status they have uh, Landline, which at that point was Jillian Robespierre's follow-up to uh, Obvious, Obvious Child. Child. I almost said Only Child. Obvious Child. Um, and then they Good had movie. some like stuff from previous festivals that was going to come out, Lost City of Zed and The Big Sick, um, even down to like... That Doug Lyman movie. They bought the big sick. That Doug Lyman movie, The Wall, that I had to watch because uh, I had to watch all the big (laughs) streaming releases when I was at my old job. Um, But like, that's just, I mean, we again joke about movies that don't exist, but like that movie did. All of this atmosphere of uh, disappointment slash failure on Amazon stock, partly because they had all of the spotlight, or not spotlight, but they had all of the gala spots of the New York Film Festival, because they had Last Flag Flying, Wonderstruck, and Wonder Wheel. Mm -hmm. Wonder Wheel, which they ended up even canceling the whole red carpet side of it, because... That was the, the, oh, remember all this stuff that we know about Woody Allen? It is suddenly pertinent again, now that Me Too is uh, in the headlines. Um, Maybe we shouldn't have made that programming choice. Uh I don't know. Um... Also, Wonder Wheel is fucking terrible. Is bad. Um, But anyway, so again, we don't need to to belabor that point, but it is definitely wrapped up. What the the Wonderstruck uh, disappointment on awards uh, season is wrapped up in this sort of overall terribly disappointing deflating year for amazon studios so right um because it really did feel like like another case of maybe we shouldn't have been so eager to predict a todd haynes movie to do well with awards and everybody you know is reflecting like well maybe we shouldn't have yeah but again brian selznick the author of the source book also wrote The Invention of Hugo Cabret, which was then mm-hmm. turned into... So, like, there was, you know, t- turned into Hugo by uh, Martin Scorsese. So there was definitely, at least, there was there was a not unjustified sense that this is right. a Todd Haynes movie that is maybe going to be more accessible to 
a broader swath of awards voters than even something like Carol. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's a little heartening, I guess, that Carol ends up being the more Oscar-friendly just because it is more, um, I don't know. It's a more straightforward movie. Like, you can tell somebody that it is a romance, and they can at least appreciate the movie, even if the movie is not for them. And it's also, like, by critical acclaim, that movie sort of, like, got pushed into award season. Like, critics were basically like, this is the movie. Um, Wonderstruck is a harder movie to condense, and I think, or to, like, explain to somebody, sell somebody on what it is. I mean, some of that is why I forgive its its shortcomings, because I do think it's coming at things in an interesting way it is about cinema but not in the way that hugo is and hugo is so direct Correct. about that that's you know, right this is a movie about engaging with the art form as hugo yeah. is to cinema as wonderstruck is to museums so you can see why <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a harder sell um I, well, I mean, like, and maybe it's a little silly to be like Todd Haynes is a genre filmmaker as much like all of his movies are in a genre, but also commenting on that genre. Yeah. And Wonderstruck is like, the genre is silent movies, sure. which is not a genre, but right. he is still, you know. It's more Even concept it's a genre, than genre. It's a mode yeah. of filmmaking yeah. that he is commenting on as he yeah. is adopting it. Can we talk about Carter Burwell right now, though? The score in this movie. If we can talk about, you know, again, you you wanted to post-mortem 100 years, 100 snubs. Like, I think the snub of this movie is Carter Burwell's score. It's which so is beautiful. Absolutely tremendous. Beautiful and, like, and lively still... and evocative. And it, like, it serves every part of the movie that it's meant to just in general Carter Burwell is a composer who has not been sufficiently honored at this point now his first oscar nomination was carol was it's carol crazy. which is crazy because yeah. so he comes up his all of his sort of major early accomplishments are with the Cohen brothers, right? He does the score mm-hmm. for Fargo. But like all the nominations Fargo got and it didn't get a score nomination, even though there were two score categories back that year, is dumb. I'm just gonna say it. It's fucking dumb. He does the score for uh, you know, Hudsucker Proxy and Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing, for God's sake. Um and then as the sort of 90s turn into the aughts, he does the score for Gods and Monsters, and he does the score for, I think his first Todd Haynes score ends up being Velvet Goldmine, which is much more of a soundtrack movie than a score movie, but regardless. Um, He's the composer for Being John Malkovich. He's the composer for Three Kings. Um, uh, A Knight's Tale, which is another song score movie, but whatever. Um, uh, Adaptation. So again, he's working with these big... uh, Concept auteurs, the Coen brothers, Spike Jones, Todd Haynes. He does the score for No Country for Old Men, Best Picture winner, no Oscar nomination. He does the score for uh, Where the Wild Things Are. My goodness. Again, another Spike Jones mm-hmm. movie. Um, and again, that's a movie where the music, the original music in there is, is you know, Karen O oh obviously has a lot of uh, work in that. But anyway, so just a lot of major movies. Kids Are All Right is another Best Picture nominee he does the score for. Doesn't get a nomination until Carol. He has since gotten two more. Uh, one very recently for uh, this past year for Bands, She's a Sharon. And Good score. 
his second nomination was in 2017, the same year as Wonderstruck, for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Now that is a Best Picture nominee. So that one, you can at least see why. But this is where I'm going to enter one of my um, regular uh, uh, complaints and grievances <laughs> against the Oscars as of the last 10 or so years. The Oscars... They I, nominate the right composer for the wrong movie. Well, just in general. I am, a, I am a, as you know, a proponent of the top 10 best picture format. I know a lot of people wish they would go back to five. I It wouldn't kill me if they went back to five, but I, I like the good that the top 10 does in terms of getting more movies, more attention. And I like that. However, my major, major drawback for the top 10 era is it has drawn the crafts categories more towards this central nucleus of mm-hmm. just those Best Picture nominees, and it is getting mo- it. less and less likely that a movie that is not a Best Picture nominee gets a craft nomination in kind of anything. And I think the fact that Three Billboards is your score nominee for Carter Burwell in 2017 and not something like Wonderstruck, even though just watch those two movies and tell me which is the one where the score is much, much more recognizable and prominent and utilized in a more necessary way it's obviously wonderstruck and i think Mm -hmm. 10 years prior even or 15 years prior a a movie like wonderstruck would have had more of a chance to get a score nomination even though it would not have been a contender in your top categories thoughts yes Thoughts I, I and opinions, agree. Chris File, as I fill up. Well, I especially, I, I mean, I feel like this, I felt this uh, along with you in the past recent years. I feel like more people are on board with this after last year, where it feels like there's almost, there were so few craft nominations and even, I guess, acting nominations that were not Best Picture nominees. And it, I want to go it through it for a like second. They're watching fewer and fewer movies, and it's very, very frustrating. I want to go through it because it, it's 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 striking when you look at like so original score last year. The only non best picture nominee in that whole lineup is Babylon, which like forced its way into that category on a claim alone. Um, production design, all five of those nominees were best picture nominees. Cinematography. The oh, that cinematography was the only one that kind of went its own way in a way that kind of annoyed people though because it's Deacons for Empire of Light and Darius Kanji for Bardo which I think is a very good nomination I know you do great too. nomination um, but like uh, costume design um, well costume design had a couple other ones because that was Mrs Harris goes to Paris but anyway um, obviously film editing is very very closely tied to best picture and just in general. There were just very, very few movies um, that were able to penetrate those crafts categories in a way that they would have when, like, again, I talk all the time about the days where, like, the Black Dahlia could get a stray cinematography nomination or The Village. Uh, These are movies that were generally seen as disappointments relative to their expectations, but it's not historically normal for this many Best Picture nominees Agreed. to get that many nominations Agreed. as like happened last and year. And that is and that is my point. Uh, screenplay categories too. Like there used to be a ton of really idiosyncratic 
screenplay nominations. And last year, mm-hmm. there was two. It was Glass Onion and Living were the only two screenplay nominees that were not also Best Picture nominees. Like, it's... And that's not really all that idiosyncratic, you know? Right. And I just... And, and again, what's the solution to this other than convincing Oscar voters to see more movies? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you, I, I say it a lot when we talk about people's proposed fixes for the Oscars. You can't legislate taste. You can't force people to you know, to like a broader swath of things. But it's, I think it's a, it, it's a two headed horse. It's that they're watching fewer movies, but they're also just nominating the things that are sold to them to nominate and not nominating things like the elections. The Well, I also it, think it's, because we were just talking about screenplay, yeah. you know, it's also, I think on the studios that kind of, Earlier and earlier in the season, they're like, these are our contenders, these are not our contenders, and maybe at a moment where the industry, there's a lot of anxiety in the industry about the future, that maybe they're just like, we're not going to spend on anything more than, like, is absolutely necessary. Right. And that's a depressing thing. And yet, like, we still remember following Oscars where it's, you know, a Carter Burwell nomination for Wonderstruck would be conceivable up until the very end, mm-hmm. you know, even though the movie isn't doesn't have as much of a footprint in the race. Agreed. Now, you know, Wonderstruck is dead by November. Exactly. That's exactly right. So anyway, though, with this idea of longing for the days that uh, you could get crafts nominations outside of the Best Picture race, I have created our latest round of our game Alter Egos, which oh, we wow. haven't played in a while. Uh, Alter Egos is our game where I give Chris the names of three movie characters. He has to then dis- figure out who the actors who played those three characters were and what movie all three of those actors were in together. The theme of this round of Alter Egos is Best Original Score Nominees that were not Best Picture Nominees. Uh, I don't go back any farther than the 90s, so it's and everything okay. is 90s till today. Um, the greatest hits of the 90s, the 80s, and today. No. <laughs> There's those few years of two score categories. Uh, yes. Um, right. But uh, yes. So anyway, um, if this ends up going long, I might lop off some of the last ones. because I think I have 14 here. But anyway, uh, we'll see okay. how it goes. I think this will be fun. Any questions before we play our latest round of Alter Egos? No, let's do it. All right. Question number one. Queen Elizabeth I, Louis de Pont-du-Lac, and Charlene Fraser. <laughs> okay, so Elizabeth I, that's either Kate Blanchett or Judy Dench. I'm going to guess it's Kate Blanchett. Nope. It's Judy Dench. Nope. Great. Um uh uh is it Margot Robbie? Mm-hmm. Is this Babylon? It is Babylon. Can you work out Babylon. the other ones? Louis de Pont-du-Lac. That's Brad Pitt as... Louis. What? Interview with a Vampire. Oh! Yes. And Charlene Fraser. Um, You know, I sometimes do television roles and not film roles. 
That is true. Oh, wait, hold on. Is it the a young baby Fraser? No. It's Gene Gene Smart from Designing oh. Women. All right. Next one. Christopher Robin, Hercule Poirot, who is Belgian and not French listeners. Okay, so listen. <laughs> I obviously said it was a French stereotype I, because look at the performance. I, He's not I stand by you and I made the same mistake. So listen, I'm I'm calling myself He's out. He's not doing a Belgian stereotype. And anyway, let's keep moving. Christopher Robin, Hercule Poirot, and Joan Crawford. Ewan McGregor, either Albert Finney or Kenneth Branagh. And what was the third one? Joan Crawford. Um, that is, um, Jessica Lang. This is Big Fish. It's Big Fish. Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot in the original Murder on the Orient Express, and Joan Crawford, Jessica Lang from Feud, Benny versus Joan. Okay. Guido Contini, Titania, and <laughs> Charlotte Flax. <laughs> um, Guido Contini is Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Um, which narrows it down totally. Is this Age of Innocence? It is the Age of Innocence. Can you work out the yeah. other two? Um, Titania. Titania is... Is that uh, Pfeiffer's name in Stardust? It's not Stardust, but you're on the right sort of uh, uh, general track. What was it's it? It's a movie that we probably should do, because I don't think it got any Oscar nominations. A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, Midsummer. yeah. Oh my god, I'm an idiot thank you for just like making me show my ass on the shakespeare i would have as well uh and then charlotte flax is of course winona Ryder and mermaids my beloved mermaids yes. okay next one sabina spielrein captain hook and john lennon well there's several captain hooks sabina and who john lennon oh that no, John Lennon is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Correct. <sighs> Aaron Taylor Johnson and a score nominee. It wasn't Nocturnal Animals. Nope. Ooh, maybe I can't remember what movies that dude. I is can in. say it's a Captain Hook. It's a score winner. Okay. Captain Hook. Oh, it's Anna Karenina. It's Anna Karenina. You want to take a step? Because it is the Jude Law Captain Hook. And Sabina, is Sabina her character in Dangerous Method? Correct. Yes. Great movie. Yes. I thought you might be able to get it right away because you love uh, that movie so much. But yes, anyway. Um, Peter Parker, Mrs. Whatsit, and Elizabeth Proctor. Elizabeth Proctor is Joan Allen. This is uh, Pleasantville. Yes, Joan Allen and the Crucible. Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire. Mrs. Whatsit. Is um, Reese Witherspoon in A Wrinkle in Time? Correct. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay, Pleasantville. Wonderful movie. Um, with all of our Pleasantville talk as of late, I really am going to be watching that again soon. Like, I feel like a, yeah. I feel a rewatch coming on. It used to be on television all the time, so I saw it right. a lot. Uh Next one, Margaret Schlegel, Victor Navorsky, and Artemis Fowl Sr. <laughs> These are all vaguely familiar names. Artemis Fowl Sr., obviously from Artemis Fowl, which I never watched. Mm. That's why I put uh, it in here. A movie that's supposed to be horrible. Uh-huh. Um, Do you even remember who was in it? 
Judy Dench because she plays like some type of bug lady. <laughs> she does, but she's not Artemis um, Fowl Sr. Maybe she should have played everyone. Uh, give me those first two names again. Margaret Schlegel and Vic- Schlegel's the familiar Victor Navorsky. Victor Navorsky, I know that. That's It's not like Daniel Brule, is it? It's not Daniel Brule, although sounds plausibly yes. Um yeah. Victor Navorsky is a name native to a fictional country. <laughs> um that Genovia. That as of the movie uh, no longer exists. Huh? As kind of the movie no longer exists. As of the movie, it somewhat is a plot point that that country is... Uh, Absorbed or destroyed? No longer a thing. And that is why there is uh, difficulty for Victor Navorsky when he tries to leave the airport that he's oh he's from kakosia yes it's uh the terminal that's tom hanks yes in a movie with an artemis foul score nominee margaret margaret schlegel, schlegel. is Catherine a... schlegel no uh margaret schlegel, schlegel on a bagel is a character from a novel um turned into a movie that was highly acclaimed in the early 90s. With Mr. Hanks. Oscar-winning role. For a Margaret... Oh, that's Howard's End. Yes. Excellent movie. I mean, like, one of the greats. Um, Emma Thompson. Uh Emma Thompson. Oh, Saving Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Banks. Emma Thompson, Tom Hanks. Who is Artemis Fowl Sr.? You Colin for- Farrell. Colin Farrell, who's in yes. Saving Mr. Banks, which I always forget that he's in Saving Mr. Banks. All right. This one's going to make you mad, but I'm going to do it anyway. Joy Man- Mangano, Peter Quill. Joy Mangano. Mangano. I think it's Mangano, but anyway. Um, Peter Quill and Tony Blair. Uh, Tony Blair is Michael Sheen. Uh-huh. I would have thought Joy was Jennifer Lawrence, but when is she with Michael Sheen? Well, you are correct that it's Jennifer Lawrence, and you are correct that it's Michael Sheen. Who's Peter what? Quill? It's a superhero. It's from your. It's from one of your genre blind spots. Yes. Um. Okay, but Jennifer Lawrence in a score not picture nominated movie with Michael Sheen. Yes. Michael Sheen is definitely like a minor role, but he's probably the third most prominent. Uh, this is pretty it's, much. It's not a Hunger Games. It's, it's not a those Hunger never Games. got Oscar nominations. Um, how strange. Um, so other than the superhero movies that Jennifer Lawrence was in and the Oscar nominated movies that Jennifer Lawrence was in, what are the only other movies that she's in? Red Sparrow. Um, Winter's Bone. Well, that's an Oscar nominee, but Mother, The Burning Plane. You're dancing around. I know, I know. It's got to be right there. Famous it's... flop. Well, 
Actually, I think it made more money than, um, but people did not like it. Yeah. It's not Serena, obviously. We've talked about Serena. Nope, think later. I will say people hate the guy who played Peter Quill. Hate the actor? Yeah. Like in this performance or? In general. Okay. Um, Especially in our corners. I'm sure this guy has plenty of fans, but uh, he is not uh, a well-liked Avenger it's not offshoot. Oh, oh, this is Passengers. Passengers. Chris Pratt is Peter Quill in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yes. I thought that that movie's one nomination was like art direction. Score. Is it a Thomas Newman score? I think it is a Thomas Newman score. Yeah, Let's there see. you go. All right, next one. Inspector Javert, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> and D'Artagnan. Okay, Russell Crowe, Gabriel Byrne is the D'Artagnan. Uh-huh. Russell Crowe, Gabriel Byrne, Bruce Wayne. So that is probably Christian Bale, given the other two. Uh-huh. What random-ass movie is this? Um, Wait, who did you say was D'Artagnan? Huh? Who did you say was D'Artagnan? Gabriel Byrne? Yeah, no. Um, oh, it's not Gabriel. It's Byrne. not Gabriel Byrne. Sorry, I should. Okay. I sh- I, but still, I should be able to get it from those first two actors. Yeah. Which this is definitely something that came out and no one cared. Um, no, I think people liked it. I liked it. Really? Yeah. Hmm. They're not giving voice performances, are they? Nope. Live action film. Is it Robin? No, it's not Robin Hood because you've given me Blanchett. Right. Um it's not a genre that you like. It's not really a genre I always like, but I liked this one. Okay. Is it like a cop thriller? What? Not what, a cop what thriller. Genre could this be? What's a what's a genre you generally don't care for? Superheroes. No. Well, correct, but not not in this case. Anymore, I don't like superheroes. Yeah. There's a lot of superhero movies I love. Sure. Um. I mean, I like action movies. Okay. Is it an action movie? Well, yeah, but in a more specific genre. Is it like a car movie? Oh, it no, it's that's not that's um that's Matt Damon. I almost said Ford versus Ferrari, but that's also a best picture nominee. Hated that movie. Um Oh, it's a gun movie. Oh, it's 310 to Yuma. It's 310 to Yuma. Yes. Yes. Uh, D'Artagnan is Logan Lerman from the Paul W.S. Anderson Three Musketeers, which... Fuck off. Um, I just want to remind you who played the Three Musketeers in this, because it is the recently uh, deceased Ray Stevenson, R.I.P., uh, was Porthos. Uh, Matthew McFadgen, uh, Tom Wamsgens himself, was Athos. And I'm then, listening, never mind. And Luke Evans was Aramis. <laughs> All at- opposite Emilia Jovovich in this. Uh, uh, and Orlando Bloom as the Duke of Buckingham. Interesting. And then Sweet Baby Logan Lerman as D'Artagnan. We're recording this a day ahead of the succession finale. Yes. I really, I really need Michael, or Michael, Matthew McFadden to have like good projects after this. Because I if agree. he ends up doing like bad bureaucracy TV. I know. I know. It's going to be awful i know like, i agree with you i hope so too. I, he's the one that i'm worried about from the cast of getting stuck in crap 
Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I, I, I don't. I, I do share. I think he though. I think he can go back. He was in a lot of different genre type stuff. Talk about he was in Anna Karenina as well. He was in obviously Pride and Prejudice. Like there's a lot of other milieus he can he can uh, drift into. So play a British role again, Matthew McFadden. Uh, uh, anyway, next play one. a naked role. Otto, Butch Cassidy, and James Bond. Okay. Which one's Butch Cassidy? Which one's the Sundance? That I'm is the question, isn't Butch it? Butch Cassidy is Robert Redford. No, 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 no. Paul Newman. I'm not going to confirm or deny because it's more fun to have you uh, guess for this one. What was the th- Oh, no, this is Road to Perdition. Why? Work it out. Show your work. Because Daniel Craig is the James Bond. Uh-huh. And Butch Cassidy and it's is... Paul Newman. And then who's Otto? Otto is... Um, please don't tell me it's Tom Hanks in, like, The Lady Killers. No. Where would Tom Hanks have played Otto? In The Lady Killers? Otto. Is he in the Cars movies? No. What's a movie about Otto? O-T-T-O, not oh. Otto. <laughs> He's a man called Otto. Come on. Right. I are our accent do movie. our accents make when I say Otto just sound like vroom vroom Otto? No, they sound okay. they, they in an American dialect they sound the same. It's fine. Otto, it's fine. Otto no, is, I am just stupid. Okay. <laughs> Basic instinct. Oh shit, I said the movie. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have gotten there. I all right, would you have? So for a little Peek I love behind basic the curtain. Instinct. Basic instinct. The the names were Ginger McKenna, Andrew Shepard, and Newman. Damn it! I would have gotten Andrew Shepard. I don't know who Ginger is. Ginger McKenna um, is Sharon from Casino. Oh yes. And Newman is Newman from Seinfeld. Damn it! That was a fun one. All right, next one. Great movie. Bruce Wayne, Sophie Zawistowski, and King Louis the Sixteenth. Is Sophie Meryl Streep. Uh-huh. And what was the first name again? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. You Meryl Streep and either Christian Bale, George Clooney, or Val Kilmer, or Michael Keaton, or, or Christian Bale, or, you, or Robert one. Pattinson. Or, you still missed one. Ben yes. Affleck. You forgot? Batfleck. Oh, Batfleck. Ooh. Yeah. So it's one of them. that out of my mind like I should. Yeah. Um, hmm. Can't really ring a bell from any of those actors. What about so King Louis the Sixteenth? All those kings blur together for me. So you don't um, know which one was King Louis the Sixteenth? Which story he's in? He's chopping off someone's head. French Revolution. Something. He's not the one chopping off heads, but French Revolution is correct. Oh, okay. He wouldn't be the one chopping off heads in the French Revolution. Schwartzman, yes. Oh. In oh, Marie- Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is Clooney. It is Clooney. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, King Louis the Sixteenth is Schwartzman and Marie Antoinette. All right. God, the voice performances in Fantastic Mr. Fox are so good, unilaterally so good, tremendous. All right, uh, Theodore Twombly, Hilly Holbrook, and Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali is Adrian Brody in Midnight in Paris. Yes. I remember this. 
What's the middle name? Hilly Holbrook. Also kind of remember that. Adrian Brody, really? Um, Theodore Twombly. What's a movie with a Theodore? Uh, The Great uh, Munchkin Adventure. Or The Great Chipmunk Adventure. No. It's It's a name that sounds way more whimsical than the actual character. Yes, 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 yes. It's sort of Um, ironic in that way. Um, Hilly Holbrook is a name I thought you might get right away. Um, Is that Jodie Foster in Contact? No, that's uh, uh, Ellie Arroway. Hilly Holbrook, uh, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? (gasps) Oh, so that's... That's Bryce Dallas Howard. This is the village. Theodore Twombly is her. Is Joaquin Phoenix and her. Hilly Holbrook is Bryce Dallas Howard in uh, The Help. That is the village. Correct. All right. Achilles, Stacey Jacks, Marie Antoinette. Uh, Brad Pitt is Achilles. (laughs) Marie Antoinette is uh, Kiki Dunst. Mm Mm-hmm. This is Interview with the Vampire as This well. is Interview with the Vampire. Uh, Stacey Jacks? Rock of Ages. Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yes. All right. Next one. Kay Adams, Mona Dearly, and Judy Benjamin. Okay. I know all these names. I feel like you've maybe used one of these names again. Mona Dearly. Mm-hmm. Is that a drowning Mona? It is. Is that do they kill? Do they kill Jamie Lee Curtis or Bette Midler? They kill Bette Midler. Uh-huh. Is this Beaches? It's not Beaches. And she wouldn't have been second billed anyway. Right. First Wives Club. First Wives Club. You want to get there the other ones? Kay Adams. Kay Adams is Diane Keaton in. Oh, I know what this is. Baby Boom. No, The Godfather. Oh yeah, Judy Benjamin is of course, uh, uh, Private Benjamin. Private Benjamin, Goldie Hawn. You are really getting my ass shown to certain <laughs> sections of our listenership. You show, made me show my ass on the Shakespeare one and the Godfather, a movie series that I have recently. <laughs> I was going to say, I know. All right, um, Alicia going by her maiden name, please. Come on, okay. Kay Corleone. I mean, in fairness, the Corleones eventually do not claim her. Right. Alicia Nash, Meyer Lansky, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> uh, Meyer Lansky. Another uh, movie you've seen recently, but didn't Lansky. like. I liked? Didn't like. Did not like. Okay. You saw it, though, for 100 snubs. I mean, I watched a lot of movies I did, did. not like for a hundred snubs. Um, Alicia Nash, I thought you'd get right away. Alicia Nash is an Oscar-winning role. Yeah, that's Jennifer Connelly. Uh-huh. This is House of Sand and Fog? Yes, it's a beautiful yeah. mind as Alicia Nash. Uh, all right, who is Meyer Lansky? 
Meyer Lansky, that is Ben Kingsley in Bugsy. Uh-huh, and who's Mary, the mother of Jesus? You might not know. Shora Gashlu in the Nativity Story, I'm guessing? No, although, no, because I think that's uh, uh, Keisha Castle-Hughes' is, uh, Nativity Story. Oh, right, she's Mary. Right. I, she's, uh, why did I think that that was... It's the Nativity Story. Why did I think that Keisha Castle-Hughes was I don't Mary know. Magdalene? Um... Mary, uh, Shari Agadashlu plays Mary, the mother of Jesus in Mrs. Davis, which I know you haven't watched yet, but I just wanted to be able to say. <gasps> I, I do need to watch Mrs. Davis. By the time this, like this is up, Mrs. Davis will have been over for like two months. So I've given people plenty of chances to be surprised by Shari Agadashlu showing up as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Listen, I let think me tell you. Much like me, I think you are going to make people pull the trigger on it. It's a moment. It's one scene, but it is mwah, chef's kiss. So good. All right. Oh. Um, last one. Dallas, Richard Nixon, and Nelson Mandela. Okay. Dallas is definitely... That's like... Hopefully not David Spade for... Is it Dallas Roberts or whatever? Um, Richard Nixon, uh, Anthony Hopkins. What was the third one? Nelson Mandela. Morgan Freeman slash Idris Elba. That is the dilemma. Is this Amistad? It's Amistad. Who's Dallas? Dallas is uh, Matthew McConaughey in conceivably many movies. Magic Mike is the conceivably many movies. Yes. I would have said Magic Mike. I would have said Dallas Buyers Club. One of his name was Dallas in Dallas Buyers Club. And his last name is Buyers Club. Yeah. (laughs) It's a biopic of Dallas Buyers Club. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. That is our uh, alter egos on score nominees. Very good, uh, Chris File. Um, this movie got three Saturn Award nominations, I should say. Uh, Not the Saturn Awards. Uh, Millicent Simmons, also who is nominated, by the way, I should say, at the Critics' Choice that year for Best Younger Actor or Actress, uh, loses to Brooklyn Prince from The Florida Project. Also nominated were Daphne Keene for Logan, uh, Jacob Tremblay, who by this point was like the uh, the Meryl Streep of the Younger Actor or Actress mm-hmm. category, I imagine, at the Critics' Choice. was like, what's the Tremblay movie this year? I guess we'll uh, nominate him. That year it was for Wonder. Um, and then McKenna Grace for that movie Gifted, which I only, I saw, but I only really remember as, oh, that's the movie where Chris Evans and Jenny Slate dated for a little bit in real life. Um, <laughs> which is one of the most, like, wonder, I always think about that. and Like, oh, what a lovely time that was. Um, but also I want to talk about Wonderstruck was in competition at the Cannes Film Festival in 2017. A very interesting competition lineup at Cannes that year. I wrote down in the outline a selection of the movies, although not all of them, but um, just a selection. So that was the year that The Square won Ruben Ustland his first of two Palme d'Ors. Uh, the one that should have won, I think we both are in agreement, is BPM, Robin Campillo's mm-hmm. BPM. Which apparently was blocked by a few people in the jury. Almodovar has talked a little bit about it, enough to suggest that Will Smith I was, was one say, of them. Yeah, you've said but that But I think it was also Sorrentino. Is that just because we don't like Sorrentino? <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen enough Sorrentino movies to be like, this man maybe has never met a gay person. Mm. Um, Maybe. But anyway, 
Other uh, films in competition were Hong Sang-soo's The Day After, uh, Double Lover, the Ozone movie, uh, Michael Haneke's Happy End, which we both saw together at Toronto, the Safdi Brothers' Good Time, a movie I will never watch again, uh, Fatih Akin's In the Fade, which we also saw together at TIFF, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, which I find charming, even though it is uh, uh, somewhat hideous. Um, but like in a very entertaining way, I think. I like Coachella. I do too. Uh, Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled, my least favorite Sofia Coppola. Um, still a good movie. Still a pretty good movie, actually. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Yorgos Lanthimos's Killing of a Sacred Deer, Noah Baumbach's The Meyerowitz Stories, which is maybe my Grand Prix winner this year, second to BPM. If BPM's my Palm winner, I think The Meyerowitz Stories is probably my Grand Prix winner. And then Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, um, another movie I will never watch again. <laughs> <laughs> what are your... Uh, what my are Grand your... Prix winner, because yes, we are in agreement, BPM yeah. should have that Palm. Uh, uh, I, it would be Killing of Sacred Deer. That's a movie I, I really like. That movie I like yeah. way more than everyone I else. I like that movie a lot. I'm with you. I like that uh, movie a Cincinnati lot. Cincinnati Cinema... <laughs> it is shot in Cincinnati. Yeah. It is distinctly Cincinnati. <laughs> Barry Keoghan, too, like for as much as like people were like finally like, you know, discovered him this year with Banshees and very good. Yeah. Go back and watch Killing we of a Sacred Deer and like be unsettled. <laughs> be very unsettled. Right. Um right. also talking about uh if you think Julian uh Julianne Moore is doing a Natalie Portman in safe. Uh, Colin Farrell is really doing on Natalie Portman in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, just in terms of like, let's try and see what this voice is. Why am I doing it? I don't know. But uh, Colin Farrell is doing uh, sexy in that movie. Uh, he, uh, you see a lot of his naked body. That is true. And I found it appealing. That is true. Um, what I also love about this, because Jessica Chastain was on the jury, and after their awards, she was uh, <laughs> dropping blind items about right. the lineup of saying how shocking it was the depiction of women from major filmmakers around the world, but not naming any movies uh, specifically. I, at the time, thought that she was talking about Good Time. But didn't she later come out and say something very complimentary about Good she Time? She later yeah. came out and was like, this is a great movie, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I saw it at camp. Yeah. Uh, so she wasn't talking about Good Time. I think she was talking about the Michelle Anavistus movie yeah. about Godard, Godard. Yeah. Um, which other people had that complaint. There's not a whole lot of movies that she could be talking about right. specifically in that lineup, but she, I believe, was shading uh, Oscar winner Michelle, Michelle Hazanavistus. Okay. Um, what else do we want to say? We are sort of coming up upon uh, time to do the IMDb game, but what else do we want to say about Wonderstruck? I'm going to go into my notes, but uh, what about you? Be kind to Wonderstruck. It is not a flawless movie. It is not, you know, I mean, I understand when people quickly come out and say that it's the weakest Todd Haynes movie. I'm not so sure that I could do, I could give you an example so quickly. He's never made a bad movie. Yeah. I yeah, I would not call Wonderstruck bad. I'm just I have conflicting feelings on it. For for I think what it's reaching for and what it's doing, um, I think it's it, it's 
very ambitious and very yeah. um, modest at the same time. But uh, I don't know. I, I really connect to it emotionally. I remember seeing this and Coco in like the same week in the span of a few days. And it's, you know, both movies that are ultimately about a grandson and a grandmother. And I was disheveled leaving both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. One note I wrote down, uh, this movie begins with Ben having this somewhat sort of watercolor-esque dream about wolves, this very sort of like stylized mm-hmm. uh, dream about wolves, which ends up coming into play uh, when you find out that his father did the Natural History Museum diorama uh, about wolves. Um, but it comes right at the beginning of the movie, like before credits or anything. And I definitely thought it was the title card for Mongrel Media, which is um, that Canadian distributor who we only ever really see their title card and <laughs> fanfare when we're at TIFF because they're the TIFF distributor yes. for like all the like Sony Pictures classics and A24s and Neons and yeah, all those yeah, like yeah. smaller indie distributors. They are distributed in Canada through Mongrel Media. So like you show up at TIFF. And, like, we, I remember being like, why is everything this one distributor? And it's just like, oh, okay. Like, you see that fanfare so many times. And I will say, for as much as I talk about the Focus Features fanfare being, like, the most soothing to me ever, like, I really like Bliss Out when I hear that, uh, the Mongrel Media one is is up there with that. Like, listen to it. The, like, like, three tones that it ends with are very, very, like... yes. You know, when you get when you see someone get hypnotized, yes, like a tiny little thing. That's fair. Check it out. I'll probably if I can remember it, I'll drop a sound drop in. But like go to YouTube and like look at the it's like 15 seconds. But it's just it's very uh, it also is probably me like sense memorying myself back to, you know, my wonderful experiences in Toronto. Uh, Can we divert for two seconds to say uh, I don't think we've talked about this on mic that there is apparently going to be a sequel to the Anne Hathaway's and Taya Diamonds commercial? The Bulgari commercial? Yes. Ooh, I'm excited. Listen, listen. This is our We Come to This Place for Magic. Kind of, uh, yes. Between the two of us. It kind of is. And especially because not everybody, not all our friends were at Toronto last year the way that, like, often is. I think it took us all of one movie to text Katie to be like, Katie, there's a Bulgari at it. Because of one of the things movie. we talk about, especially with uh, our other friend Nick Davis, was the preponderance of the L'Oreal ad that would come in the pre-roll. And, like, the L'Oreal ad was kind of supplanted by the Bulgari ad this year. And it's one of those ones, like, Nick would always do, like, a capsule review of whatever that year's L'Oreal ad was, mm-hmm. as if it was a movie. Um, and the Bulgari ad had that energy to it, and Hathaway and Zendaya, yes. and the room full of falling flowers, um, and the peacock for some reason. And um, so, yes, I am very excited for uh, Bulgari Part Two. I will say that. So, say that. The search for new endings. There are only beginnings. Whatever weird copy they have. I also wanted about Wonderstruck, just very quickly shout out, so there's some good song drops in this one. When he shows up in New York City, there's the Esther Phillips uh, sound drop that uh, we get, and then uh, that Fox on the Run song that comes uh, a little bit later on. Um, mm-hmm. Good, good. Uh, Todd Haynes, as ever, is uh, good with a soundtrack, I will say. So, um, yeah, Wonderstruck. Glad we did it. Glad we... uh, Good movie. Be nice to it. 
All right. Would you like to tell our listeners There's better. about the IMDb game? The IMDb game, listeners, you know it as uh, how we end our episodes, uh, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those title, titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it's just going to become a free for all of hints. Free for all of hints. woo we love it um chris would you like Uh, to guess first or give first uh i'm gonna give first i feel like i'm throwing you somewhat of a softball so let's just get it out of the way all right let's see it uh we mentioned uh the uh, very talented millicent simmons's performances in the quiet game motion picture quiet place in the motion picture wonderstruck julianne moore plays her mother her mother in a quiet place is emily blunt have we not done emily blunt i guess not crazy all right emily blunt's known for Here's what I will say, and this is not the most obvious one, but I know that this is one that is tends to be overrepresented on the IMDb game. I'm going to guess Mary Poppins Returns. Incorrect. Uh, okay, good. But also, okay. Um, all right. Emily Blunt, then. What are, like, the... Well, A Quiet Place. Incorrect. No! Crazy! Okay. <laughs> I thought I was giving you some... Uh, well, I mean, now that I look at it, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. Uh, your years are 2006, uh-huh. 2011, 2011, and 2014. All right. 2006 is uh, Devil Wears Prada. Correct. 2014 isn't Sicario, right? Sicario's 2015. That is correct. So 14, 11, and 11. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Asterix on one of those 11s. Is that it doesn't come out until 12? Uh, I do believe. Is that your sister's sister? Incorrect. Because that's a 2012, and that's... I believe it's a 2012, at least. And that oh, movie... Rest in peace, Lynn Shelton. Good movie. Rules. What a good movie. All right. Um, Adjustment Bureau? The Adjustment Bureau. That definitely did come out in 2011. Um, I think the Adjustment Bureau showed up for like Matt Damon. Listen, which is good hats, beautiful hats. It must that movie must live in perpetuity on TNT or something. If people even still have TNT, uh, I have cable. I will say I'm back to having cable. So, uh, uh, is that like I'll the confirm. outro movie to Yellowstone episodes or something? Maybe. Is that the ver- like our version of Drag Race showing you know Mean Girls? Maybe. I've I've managed to uh, on Fox Fox Movie Channel uh, or FX Movie Channel rather watch Alien Covenant twice in the last four days. Um, I saw that log. I was like, "What the hell is Joe doing?" It's just on Alien TV, Covenant? man. Like I caught it right at the beginning, and I was like, "Yes, I will stay up until uh, after midnight what to watch Alien Covenant." Movie. Better than I remember it, but still, everybody, all the humans in that are so dumb. And I get that, like, now, I, I, as I said in my review, I'm like, now I'm, like, in 2023, on the other side of some, like, 
really of you know human events that did not shine us in a very well light i guess i can't look at a movie and be like boy the humans are too stupid to be believable and it's like no that's probably what we would have fucking done prometheus Um, and alien covenant are about covid but like literally (laughs) alien covenant is they're going to one planet they find another planet that they like in like two minutes are like looks like it's habitable and then they go land on it and they like walk around without helmets or anything on and it's like you guys are bad scientists and also bad explorers and also uh too dumb to live so uh they darwin but they are Oregon. kind of like the scientists a corporation would hire well these guys are like die. they're like they're they're pioneers in this one they're more just like because they're all couples and they're supposed to like repopulate whatever planet they land on so like they're not like they're not scientists in the way that the ones in prometheus were but they still should like basic bitch enough to know that like this planet that we have been aware of for all of an hour and a half um probably shouldn't like trust it implicitly that it's not going to be like environmentally ruinous and they're doing things like like picking up pieces of vegetation and just like just like what are you doing like i don't know anyway (laughs) um billy crude up like sticking his face over a fucking pool of goo like what i get that like it and all Michael works Fassbender for the making out with himself. Well, that's the real, that's the show of Alien Covenant. Like that's that's what you show up for is Michael Fassbender teaching himself, teaching the clone of himself to uh, play do tongue stuff to play the flute by saying, um, "Do the fingering just like I'm doing the fingering," or whatever the fuck he says. Like it's all yeah. very anyway. Um, what was I? I'm doing Emily Blunt. 2011 asterix and 2014. All right, Young Victoria was before then. Um, oh, Looper? Not Looper. However, the I I will accept multiple title answers. Multiple title answers. Yes. This is a movie that has like alternate titles. Yes. Famously, hilariously, annoyingly so. Famously, hilariously, annoyingly so multiple titles. Is it one of those like Birdman or the... No, uh, not like that. As in like, there have been releases of the movie under different names on like home video. Oh, I love this movie. Fucking live, die, repeat. Kiss my ass. Um, Day After Tomorrow. What a great movie. Yeah. No, not Day After Tomorrow. Or not Day After Tomorrow. Uh, um, uh... No, Day After Tomorrow was another dumber but fun movie. Um, That's not lived, I repeat. Day After Tomorrow is run, freeze. Run, freeze, uh, punch a CGI wolf. Yeah. Um, Run, freeze, bark. (laughs) No, what is it? It's not Day After Tomorrow. It's, um, um, what the fuck is it called? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. See, because lived, I repeat has like burrowed into my brain now. I hate that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Edge of Tomorrow. Also, I would have accepted Edge of Tomorrow colon lived, I repeat. Sure. Um, and then the 2014 one? 2011. 2011 is the 2012 one, right? That was the 2014 one. Um, so it's an indie movie that, like, festivaled in 2011? Yes. Is she the main star of it? She is second built. To Amy Adams? Is it Sunshine Cleaning? No. Um, she is second build to, oh, is it, no, it's not five-year engagement. Um, 
Is it is she second bill to a romantic interest? Yes. Indie romance. I mean, romance, yes. This premiered at TIFF, came out in the spring, and stayed in the late year conversation for reasons unexpected. Huh. Awards reasons unexpected? For her? Yes. In 2012. That became a punchline? That became a punchline? So not the um, Terrence Davies movie, then. No. Um, She's not in a Terrence Davies movie. No, I'm thinking of uh, of Rachel Weisz. Um, Deep Blue Sea, a movie yeah. that's title is about a body of water. <laughs> oh, is that a clue for this Emily Blunt movie? Yes. <laughs> we have done this movie. <laughs> Whoa, oh, 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 oh. That was a... Jesus. That was a year after festival movie, huh? It's been a while since we did Samming Fishing in the Yemen, and that's insane that that's on her known for, by the way. And that you would think it would be easy for me to get that is also insane. I would have thought once we got to the year and I'm like, it's not actually 2011. No. No, that movie got memory hold. It's been several years since we've done Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. So like, the memory hole box of that is well and truly put away. All right. All right. Who do you have for me? I have for you, um, what was even the path to this actor? She's in a Todd Haynes movie. Oh, uh, she's in the Mildred Pierce movie, although not in a major role for it. But anyway, uh, I was surprised to learn that we have never done Hope Davis, an actor who was in another Cannes movie that was well-received this year. Uh, she's my favorite part of the Asteroid City trailer when she's uh, Telling. I'm so happy Hope Davis got to be funny again. I know. It's so good. All right. So this is kind of, I will say, this is going to be a little bit of a challenging one for you. But give me Hope Davis is known for. American Splendor. Yes, correct. Closest she's come to an Oscar nomination, I believe, mm-hmm. is American Splendor. Um, see, that's like her moment, too. So I'm almost tempted to say Secret Lives of Dentists. But, like, who knows that movie anymore? Um. Huh. I love Hope Davis. I I'm just gonna say proof. Not proof. Speaking okay, of good. movies that we've um, done. Um So that's one strike. See, she'll randomly show up in like and be a bureaucrat in like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which Laura Linney actually did. Um <coughs> I believe she's first built in like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Um, I'm just going to say The Secret Lives of Dentists. No, it's not. All right. So your remaining movies are 2002, 2008, and 2016. Oh, 2016. So that's semi-recent. Um, 02, which would have been before American Splendor. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Pardon me. Awards movie. Yes. It's um, hmm. it's not like well, Gosford Park's O one, so O two. She's not in the hours, though. God, could you imagine? I could actually. Um. Awards has been actually nominated for Oscars or pushed. Yes, forward? not Best Picture, but <coughs> other. Okay. Other major awards. So O two. 
you have a Lord of the Rings, you have Chicago, you have The Pianist, you have Chicago, The Hours, you have, what was the other one? Oh, it's about Schmidt. It is about Schmidt. Uh, uh, plays Jack Nicholson's daughter in About Schmidt. Yes. All right. 08 and 2016. These are the hard ones. Okay. So it's like not movies you would think of for Hope Davis. Um, right. They're very small roles in both of them. Yeah. One is a movie I'm going to guess you like. One is a movie that I'm going to guess you've never seen because it's by this point that you'd washed your hands of this genre. It's the 2016 movie. It's got to be a superhero movie. It is. I feel like actually she is in. I don't think she's in a Marvel movie, but I think she's in DC. It can't be Batman versus Superman, is it? It's not. Is it DC? No. Okay, so it's Marvel. Yes. Marvel in 2016. Is that Captain America Civil War? Yes. Good okay. job. She plays Tony Stark's mother in a uh, flashback. That's scene. right. Yes. Um. Okay, so 2008. It's a movie with a fully big, big, my big hands cast. At that point. Yeah. Huge cast, 2008. Yes. Awards movie? No, but it was in the conversation. Probably because it was such a big Probably cast got precursors where... for a lot of different things, I would imagine. Yeah. But it was not... I don't believe it got any Oscar nominations. What would that have been in O? Which means we could do it. So, that is the year of... It's the year after the Coens. What won after the Coens won? What's between... Okay, what's between No Country and Hurt Locker? Why can't I remember this? It's Slumped Up. Oh, that, that's why, because I don't like that movie. Yeah. Um, well, it's not Frost Nixon then, though. I probably would have guessed Frost Nixon. That would make sense. But I think that's Rebecca Hall, right? Is, yeah. Is the and Frost Nixon got Oscar nominations. This one did not. Yeah. Um, okay, so what would that have been? There is definitely like an ensemble movie from that year. It, big, big ensemble. That, yeah, I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. Um, an ensemble with a lot of women in it, although the lead is not a woman it's not like casa de los babies that's like a decade earlier i um, will say there are two uh, actors who are in wonderstruck who are in this movie i'm guessing julianne and michelle williams michelle williams yes okay michelle williams 08 ensemble michelle williams and Urbaniac? No. That wouldn't have helped me anyway. Um, Michelle Williams and Tom Noonan? Yes. Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York. Very good. The cavalcade of women in this movie, a movie that I have come to respect even though it made me legitimately go into a depressive spiral for more than a week <laughs> when i saw it uh but katherine keener michelle williams samantha morton hope davis jennifer jason lee uh uh elizabeth Diane marvel Wiest. 
Emily Watson, Diane Weist, Deirdre O'Connell, Lynn Cohen. Um, uh, wait, I'm like literally like scrolling down. Robin Weigert, um, uh, Emily Watson. I said Diane Weist. I said Alice Drummond is in that movie. Like it is truly, um, a a feast for anybody who loves actresses. Even though, like I said, that is a movie that very well may make you think about your own life in a way that you do not want to. Is all I will say. Especially if you're single, ripped okay. off poorly by Ariaster this year. Oh, I the, like the further I, I like. Bo's afraid, but you are not wrong like that it. that it. I'm glad it's out of his system. I I. The way that you would talk about Bo's Afraid, where you would be like, I like it, and then say all the things you hated about it. I'm like, you don't like it, though, is the thing. <laughs> um, I'm glad you finally are deciding to live in your truth about that. I did like it. I don't it. like um, but the Patty similarities Lepone shows up and you're like, oh, this is Ionesco. This is the weird Albie. This is and it's like, no, she's just elevating the movie. The movie's not good. You're not wrong about the similarities to Synecdoche, New York, but I did find it, um, while uneven, and I think it has pacing problems, um, I especially love the very beginning section in the city, and I, um, I'm very, very glad that I saw it, and it is not a perfect movie, but, like, I am, I think, the reality of what you were saying, which is... I like it with some issues. I that is me for real. Whereas right. I think you are saying I didn't like it, but I want to be fair to it. It's maybe right, uh, right. Yeah. Anyway. 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 We're anyway, at the two hour Todd mark. Haynes' new movie this year. Very excited. Yes. Um, we love him. Yes. All right. That is our episode, listeners. If you would like more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. Chris File has been doing really, really fun stuff on our Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz throughout the 100 years, 100 snubs. I I hope you do too, because um, I've been really enjoying, and I've been enjoying seeing the comments from people. Like, definitely, like, comment on our our Instagram, because uh, we love hearing from you. And... Um, and, and we want to establish a foot base somewhere that is not Twitter uh-huh. and, you know, uh-huh. the, that building eventually. Also, if somebody has a Blue Sky invite and wants to send it to either me or Chris, I will happily accept. I don't know about you, but... Is um, it Blue Sky or is it Blue Ski? I, I don't it care. Was Blue Ski. I think people were saying Blue Ski because they didn't want Elon Musk to delete their tweets about it, but, like... Interesting. I think it's Blue Sky. I don't know. If it's Blue Ski, whatever the fuck it's called... Have me over and I'll find out. Um, uh, I don't have an invite yet. Anyway, Chris, where can the listeners find more of you on non-Blueski? Not uh, on Blueski. Um, <laughs> I am for now on Twitter and also Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so make a plan to visit one of New York City's many fine museums, but before you do, write something nice about us. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. 